Let's read from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do, unto other, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And it's that verse that we're going to particularly focus on today. Verse 12, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. It certainly is one of the uh, most well-known things that Jesus said. Um, and we can, we can look at it and we can get into it and we're going to look at it in some detail this morning. But I would say let's make sure that we don't rush into this. I would say perhaps one of the most important parts of this verse, in fact, maybe the most important part of this verse is the very first word, so, so. I was quite uh, emboldened last week. Arnold was preaching on uh, Matthew, sorry, it wasn't, he was preaching in Romans, uh, <laughs> chapter 11. And uh, he started off, and he, he started off by expounding the word, oh, oh. And uh, spent quite a while on that, uh, very helpfully. And so I thought, well, if Arnold can preach on the word oh, I can preach on the word so. Two can play at that game, I thought. So, <laughs> Actually, this word so here can seem to be a bit of a problem. Because so, if, you, if you're saying something, explaining something, and thinking, so, this is what you should do. You would kind of think, well, the two, that's a linking word. It links the two together. It links the two bits together. Um, that one automatically follows on from the other. But there seems to be a bit of a problem here. Because it doesn't, this verse doesn't seem to fit very well with what has gone before it. It looks as though Jesus is starting a new topic. So he's, he's been talking about, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. If your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Uh, or if uh, he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Uh, your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to, uh, to those who, who seek him. So it's really looking at prayer and looking at seeking God. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. It's like, what? Where, where's that come from, Jesus? I didn't think we were talking about that even. Um, some people think, well, this verse here is just a separate saying of Jesus that Matthew thought, ah, Jesus, really, he did say this. I can't quite remember where he said it. Um, I'll just put it in here. This will do. I'll just slot this little verse in. I'm sure it was the Sermon on the Mount somewhere. Some people um, think, well, maybe it would fit better earlier on in chapter 7. So when G Jesus was talking about not judging People And he says, well, don't, don't look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. Um, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Maybe from that, it would follow on more logically to say, so do to others what they would, others would do to you. Maybe that's a better place for it to fit. So um, it's a bit of a difficulty. But Jesus does say this word, so. And uh, we can't just 
get rid of it and ignore it and think, oh, well, there's only a little word, it's only two words. Actually, it's there in the Bible. And there's a reason for it to be there in the Bible. And I would say this word so is key as we come to it. Now, I'm not going to preach the whole message on that word. I'm going to leave that there for you, that that is important. Um, And we will come back to that question of what it means and why it's here, because I believe it should be here later on. So you'll have to wait for a little while. Let's get on to looking at the, the, the main part of this verse. It's been called the golden rule before now. And it's pretty much a one-sentence summary, isn't it, of how we are to live our lives as disciples of Jesus. It sums up how we're supposed to live our lives, how we should act in our lives. What is the right way to live? What's the right way to act towards others? In any situation, what is the right thing to do? What is uh, not a good thing to do? Um, A lot of books and and discussions and philosophers have talked about this kind of thing. It's called ethics. How do we know what is right and wrong? How do we know what we should do in any given situation? Um, So some philosophers have said, well, what we should do is we should weigh up in any situation whether something that we're thinking of doing causes more harm or good. And uh, not just immediately, but long term. It's called utilitarianism. Um, And uh, it comes out in a lot of programs on TV. And For example, 24. I don't know if you've ever watched 24. um, Sort of American TV program. This looks at that issue quite a lot in terms of uh, terrorism and things like that. And uh, so, so questions are asked like, is it okay to torture someone if that means that they will reveal information um, about a bomb that's going to go off, uh, which, which will, you know, if you torch someone and they reveal the details of this bomb and where it is, that might save the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Therefore, is, is torture okay? Is it, is it justifiable? It's that kind of thing. Utilitarianism would say, yeah, of course it is. Because the, the more people will benefit than the harm that's done to this one person. That's a nice relevant example for you here today. So if you ever have to consider that, you know, is it okay to torture this person (laughs) to reveal some information? Uh, Utilitarianism would tell you the answer. Jesus isn't a utilitarian, though. He doesn't say that. He comes up with a one-sentence summary of how life should be lived. It's very similar to a summary of the law, the Torah, which was given by a rabbi who was living around the time of Jesus called Hillel. Um, he was asked a question by a Gentile, a non-Jew, uh, who came up to him and said, look, this, this Torah, he said, can you sum up the law, the Jewish law, whilst I'm standing on one leg, is what he said. <laughs> Strange thing to say. <laughs> That's what he said. Can you sum up, you know, I'm just going to stand here on one leg while you sum up the Torah. Um, so he said, you know, there's five books of the Old Testament. Come on, sum it up in one sentence. And this guy, Hillel, said, um, this is the summary of it. He says, do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. Do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. He said, this is the whole Torah. The rest is just commentary, he said. Do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. Um, it's a similar kind of thing to what Jesus said. It's a bit more of a negative way of putting it. A bit more of a negative way of putting, putting it. It's quite similar to how we might talk to our kids sometimes, isn't it? When we're, when we're bringing our kids up and um, you know, we, we might get one of them, if they've been fighting, and we might say, look, would you like it 
if your brother pinned you down and shoved a pee up your nose? Uh, no. Well, don't do it to him then. Um, it's that kind of thing. Would you like it if I did this to you? No. Right, well, so help, helps them to think, don't do something to someone else which is hateful to you. That's what Hillel said. Stops us harming people. It's good advice. It, it, you know, it probably is a fair summary of the law, but Jesus goes a step further. He says, consider how we would want others to treat us in any given situation and then go out and do it to them. Okay? In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Think about if you were in that situation, if you were in this person's situation, what would you like other people to do to you? How would you like other people to act towards you? And once you've worked that out, then go and do that to them. That's what he's saying. So you can apply it to lots of different things, uh, situations in your life. For example, if you go into a shop or a restaurant and someone uh, gives you the bill or the, or the amount that it, it costs and it's the wrong amount and you know they're charging you a lot less than they should do, do you point it out? That's an ethical dilemma. That's a situation that you might face in life. Now, if you're thinking, okay, well, actually, if I, I just, I'll just pay whatever they ask. It's their mistake. I'm not hurting anyone by doing that. That might be one, one way of doing it. If you apply what Jesus is saying, you have to consider, if I was in their situation, if I was in this situation of the person who's giving me the bill, would I like someone to point out that mistake to me? Or would I like them just to pay what I've asked for? That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Um, you might come up with a different answer. If we're selling our car to someone, we can either have the attitude and think, well, you know, I'm going to sell this car. They can ask me some questions about it. I might be, I'll try and be honest if they ask me some questions, but I'm not going to go out of my way to point out all the things that might go wrong and all the trouble that I've had with it or whatever it is. Um, I'll, just, I'll just leave it to them. We're not lying. Or we can think, right, if I was in the situation of buying this car, what would I like, how would I like the person selling it to treat me? And therefore, I will do the same to them. So that's the application that Jesus is doing. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And Jesus is saying, in everything do this. In everything. In other words, as disciples of Jesus, he's saying, in everything, stop and put yourself in the shoes of other people and ask how we would like people to treat us in that situation. Would we like them to treat us with judgment or would we like them to treat us with understanding, with compassion or harshness, with gentleness or thoughtlessness? It's a... It's, you know, it's a question that people ask and that Christians ask. You see the, um, the wristbands that people often have um, saying, what would Jesus do? Okay, that's another way that people can try and think, well, what, what shall I do in a situation? Think, oh, what would Jesus do? It, this is more biblical than what would Jesus do. All right, this is more biblical because it's what Jesus said. Um, it, it's not quite as catchy to have on a wristband uh, D-T-O-W-Y-W-H-T-D-T-Y. Um, WWJD is a little bit better. You might need some quite thick wrists to get it all around. You know. Maybe put it on your ankle. Um, 
Jesus isn't saying, what would Jesus do? What would I do? Think about what I would do in this situation. Jesus is saying, think about how would you would like to be treated in this situation and then treat others in the same way. And we can all think of different applications to our lives. I've given a few already, but you can, you can think of an application if you're at school, say. If you're at school, you see someone sitting there, they're looking pretty sad. What do you do? Now, you could think, nothing to do with me. I've not upset them. Nothing to do with me. I'm not hurting them. Or you could think, if I was in that situation, what would I like someone to do? Would I like someone to come up and actually see if I was all right and comfort me? And maybe that's what you then decide to do. Now, those are a few examples. Jesus is encouraging us to cultivate that way of thinking. And acting is a really practical explanation of what it means to love one another. And he says, this sums up the law and the prophets. So this way of living, the entire way of living that was set out in the Old Testament, in the first five books, in the law, can be summarized by this sentence. So let's, let's have a look. Let's have a look at some of the Old Testament law. Let's turn to Leviticus. And you could do this with, with any of the law. Um, Leviticus 19. Let's have a look. We'll pick a few verses out. For example, when, verse 9 of Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so it's a, it's a, it's a law set out by God about leaving some of the food on your harvest to people who are poor, who don't have land themselves, or foreigners. Right? You could say, okay, well, this sums up this law. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. All right, if you were poor and had no food, what would you like? Actually, I'd like someone to leave me some food. Um, let's skip on a little bit. Verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Okay, don't go slandering people. Don't go talking about people, saying things about other people, uh, criticizing them, saying things that aren't true about them. How would, would we like that if people said that about us? No, of course not. Therefore, we don't do that to other people. Um, verse 17, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so there is rebuke there, so that you will not share in his guilt. In other words, don't allow bitterness to grow. Would you like someone to be bitter about you? No, probably not, right? Okay, how, how, should you, how, how would you like to be responded to? Actually, if there was something I was doing wrong, I'd like someone to gently come and say that to me uh, in love. Okay, right, well, I'll do that to them. Uh, it goes on, and you can, and you can look at all, all sorts of different ones. Um, verse 32, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord your God. You can apply the same thing. When an alien, a foreigner, lives with you in your land, don't ill-treat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself. Actually, this is what Jesus is saying. Love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All of these things can be summed up. All of these different laws can be summed up with the one law, do unto others the way that you would have them do to you. Think about what you would like them to, people to do with you, to you and do that to other people. Now, legalists 
right from the start, from Pharisees and Sadducees in the Bible, down to people who are religious today, who could be legalists, what they delight to do is to expand on the law. So they take the, the, the verses in the law and they actually add more to them. Oh, here's some more rules that you have to keep. In fact, they give more and more uh, and, and people think, well, I can't, be, I can't be pleasing God until I've done all of these things. Jesus never did that. Jesus didn't come and add more laws. He didn't make more things up to help people to explain. He cons- concentrated it into one verse. He summed it up in one verse. And that's not to say that Jesus is rubbishing the law and the prophets. And we can think that Jesus is doing that. He's just saying, oh, we just love each other sort of thing. You know, we don't have to bother about the law. In fact, the law, what, what's that about in the first place? Ah, load of rubbish. No, the law was given by God. We can't, it's not, we can't just take the option of saying the law's rubbish. No, the law was given by God. In Matthew 5 and 17, we've, we've already seen as we've looked through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, um, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He summed up everything that the law was saying. The law was, laws were from God for people's benefits. They weren't just a list of rules which people had to keep and think that if we keep all these things, we'll be okay. And that's the danger that people can slip into. That's what the Pharisees thought. They'd forgotten. They'd lost sight of the spirit of the law. And they thought, if we just keep all these rules externally, if we do the right things, then we'll be okay. God will love us. God will, we'll be accepted by God. People will think well of us. And it's the spirit of the law which Jesus is getting at here, that we love one another. The spirit of the law. We can see it outplayed in the early chapters of Acts that the disciples have got hold of this. So for example, in Acts 2 and verse 45, and for, verse 44, sorry. Acts 2, 44, it says, all the believers were together and have had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. So all the believers together had everything in common. And so they still own, own things, but they didn't consider that it was their own and this is mine. It says, and then selling their possessions and goods, anyone who was needy, they would give to them so that there was no needy people. Now a legalist takes those verses and says, oh, right. So we have to sell everything we have now. We have to give to people, do we? If we see someone who's poor, we have to do that then, do we? That's what a legalist would say. But this is just the early Christian community living out Jesus' commandment. Do to other people the way that you would have them do to you. If you were poor and needy, what would you like others to do? You would like them to help. You would like them to provide for you. You'd like them to give off some of their excess resources. All right. It's just happening. It's not because someone has told them they've got to do that. But if we start seeing things as just a set of rules, we can get really messed up and, and, and just feel, oh, it's another thing I've got to do, another thing I've got to do. The danger is even those examples that I've given earlier about seeing someone who's looking sad in a playground, you can start thinking, oh, right, so I have to do that now, do I? So selling a car, oh, right, so now when I'm selling a car, I have to do that. I have to give a big list of all the things that are wrong. No, that's just another rule. 
That's just another law. It's not about another law. It's about you thinking, what do I do in these situations? How do I live this out? It's not about giving a load more rules. We can read this whole Sermon on the Mount and think, well, Jesus is just giving a load of rules. You know, earlier in in chapter 5 and and 6, there's there's things that we've looked at before about oaths, um, telling the truth. All right, we've got to tell the truth. All right, okay, in that situation. We've got to to stick to what we said we'd do. Um, We've got to uh, pray. We've got to give to the needy. We've got to do these things, have we? No, Jesus isn't saying that. But what Jesus is doing is he's saying, how would you like to be treated? Do you like it if if people lie to you? Would you like people lying to you? Do you like it if uh, if people say they'll do something? What would you want them to do? You'd want them to keep that word. What would you do? Would you like someone to uh, betray you? In committing adultery, would you, if you're married, like, like your husband or wife to be looking lustfully at someone else? Therefore, don't do that. That's what Jesus is saying. Summing it up in these things. Now, many people have read this verse, because as I said, it's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And they've praised it. Politicians have quoted it, saying, what a marvelous teacher Jesus was. What a wonderful ethical teacher Jesus is. You know, all these people trying to come up with, how how do you live your life? And Jesus is summing it up in one marvelous verse. Wonderful, they say. Pop stars and actors even, even quote it. You know, when they'll say, look, we should all just love each other. Let's just be kind. Let's just show love to each other. People like John Lennon were saying that all the time. Imagine that, that, you know, that we just love each other. Is that too much to ask? They think it's wonderful teaching. But of course, Jesus didn't just speak these words for them to be admired. He spoke them so that we would apply them to our lives and act on them. That's the point that Jesus is going to make in a few verses' time. Therefore, verse 24 of chapter 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. And he goes on and gives that parable, which we'll look at later on. But he's saying, hear my words and put them into practice. These words of Jesus aren't just to hear and think, what a wonderful uh, teaching. What wonderful wisdom Jesus has there. Yeah, and now we're supposed to put it into practice. And that is where the problem lies. It's all very well saying, this is what we should be doing in our lives. But the problem comes that however marvelous and wonderful we think these words are, people cannot do it. People cannot live that way. In fact, outside of God, no one can. The world continues to be full of selfishness, full of aggression towards others. In fact, the way that we could sum up the way we live our lives is far more like do unto others before they do it unto you. That's how we live our lives. We're going to get in first. It's not even about retaliating to something that's done. If we're feeling a threat, we're going to get in first and be the aggressor. We're going to make sure we get what we deserve. We're going to make sure we stand up for our rights. That's how we're going to live our life. That's the way the world is working. Why? 
Why is it so hard just to keep one simple golden rule that Jesus said? Surely the world would be a far better place. Of course it would. It's 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. And still we cannot do it. Surely society has progressed, people might think, since then. Surely we've grown in knowledge and intelligence and wisdom. Why can we not do it? The simple answer is we're unable to because of sin. And sin is in our hearts. Sin is in our DNA. It's what we were born with. Our nature turns away from God's spiritual law. Our nature turns away from God. We hate what God wants for our lives. We hate God. Oh, we're happy enough to say, oh yeah, that's good teaching. Oh, that's what life should be like. But when it comes to applying it into our own lives, we resent it. We rebel against it. We only think of ourselves, how things affect us. Our very nature is to be instinctively self-centered. And actually, even those of us who are, who are Christians, who've come to know God and, and know what it is to be set free from that, because we can be set free from that if we know God, it's easy to slip into that way of thinking too. Something happens where we get hurt and, and we dwell on it and we begin to, begin to resent it and uh, resent what other people do and what they think and what they say about us. And we don't stop to think, how are they feeling? What's their position? How are they seeing this situation? And we get defensive and we get in with the first blow. It's true of individuals. It's true of nations. We all like to think of our own nation as the, as the good guys, the virtuous nation, the, the ones who are on the right side, the side of God, the one whose God is on the side of. So we speak of, uh, in this country, we'll speak of other countries and other nations and we'll say they are developing weapons of mass destruction. And we point out that we ourselves have a nuclear deterrent. It's the same weapons. It's the same things. For us, they're a deterrent. They're a force for good. For others, weapons of mass destruction. Same things. But we're on the good guy's side. We're in the right We have the moral upper hand, don't we? And by saying that, you know, by saying, you know, our nation sees itself as the guardians of of the world and righteousness, and I'm not being anti-British by saying that, because all nations do it. Because this sinfulness plays out in an individual level, and it plays out on a world level as well. We get in there first. Bruce Springsteen is, sees that in his latest song. He's just written a, a, a new song called uh, We Take Care of Our Own. And he's analyzing it well. And he's looking for answers too. And I would say, so is much of the world. This is what he says. I've been knocking on the door that holds the throne. I've been looking for the map that leads me home. I've been stumbling on good hearts turned to stone. The road of good intentions has gone dry as a bone. We take care of our own. We take care of our own. And then he he puts it in, in the national perspective. Wherever this flag is flown, we take care of our own. 
He says, from Chicago to New Orleans, from the muscle to the bone, from the shotgun shack to the Superdome, we yelled help, but the cavalry stayed home. Cavalry stayed home, sorry. There ain't no one here in the bugle blown. We take care of our own. We take care of our own. Wherever this flag is flown, we take care of our own. And then he's asking questions. He's seen what happens, but then he asks questions. Where are the eyes, the eyes with the will to see? Where are the hearts that run over with mercy? Where's the love that has not forsaken me? Where's the work that will set my hands, my soul free? Where's the spirit that will reign, reign over me? Where's the promise from sea to shining sea? Where's the promise from sea to shining sea? I don't know if he knows the answer to that. But he's seeing the problem and he's asking the questions and he knows this is a world that is in desperate need. And Jesus may have said, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But the world isn't living that way. And people aren't living that way. Is there any way forward? Is there any answer? Can we give any hope to Bruce Springsteen and the rest of the world who are asking similar questions? I would say yes. Yes, yes. By starting with God. By starting with God. In Matthew 22, Jesus said something very similar to what he's saying here. He summed up the law and the prophets again. And he says this in Matthew 22 and uh, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What he's saying is, you can't love your neighbor as yourself until you love God. More important, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the truth is, we can't love God until we realize how great the love of God is for us. It's what we've been singing about and hearing about this morning. Arnold was saying the other week when he was looking at Romans 11 and verse 22 that we need to consider the kindness and sternness of God. We need to see how God views sin. We need to see what God thinks about the way that the world lives and the attitudes in our hearts. We need to accept that we are sinners who have no rights at all to defend before God. And we need to see that everyone else is in the same position. We're no better than anyone else. We're no worse than anyone else. We're all in a terrible state. In the midst of a society which tells us it's so important that we boost our self-esteem, the truth is we all actually need to achieve low self-esteem. That doesn't mean we're to hate ourselves, but it needs to think less of ourselves. We need to see that we are lost in ourselves until we get to the point where we can admit we are flawed human beings. That's what it means to be a sinner. We are flawed human beings who before God are without hope. 
And then the only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is to consider God's kindness, to consider how we can receive forgiveness and new life and grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus, to see that Jesus' death on the cross was the greatest sign of God's love for us. And we see that God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us good gifts. Which brings us right back to Matthew 7 and verse 7 onwards. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened to us. See, once we've realized that we've got a heavenly father, once we've realized that God loves us, and he sent Jesus to rescue us from this body of sin and bring us into a place where we understood some of God's love for us and where we were then able to love God. Once we've understood that, we can come to God and realize we have a heavenly father who gives good gifts to those who ask him. And it's only when we've got hold of that that we can start to do to others what we would have them do to us. Because we stop thinking we need to defend our rights. We stop thinking we need to provide for ourselves. We need to look after number one. We need to make sure we get what we deserve. We stop all of that because we say we have a heavenly father who loves us. He loves us more than anyone loves us. And he has infinite power to pour out good gifts to us. He will care for our lives. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will provide for all our needs. And once we can rest in that and stop striving and stop trying to get our own way and stop trying to get what we want and We've been wronged and so we need to stand up for ourselves and we need to fight back. No, we don't. We don't. Because we've got a heavenly father who will deal with all of that. And we can just receive from him. We don't need to stress or strive. We won't be missing out by loving others. We won't be missing out by showing others forgiveness and grace and mercy And kindness. Because we'll be receiving it all the time as a far greater outpouring from God. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love for each other comes out of knowing God's love for us. Tom said that earlier today. It all comes from love. It all comes from love. And so this word, so, at the start of verse 12, is so important. Because if we ignore the so, if we don't see that everything that we can do in terms of relating to other people, everything has to come From a position of knowing we are loved by God. And we can receive everything we need from God. If we don't know that. 
then this just becomes another law. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Oh, right, okay. Something I've got to do. Oh, right. It's a heaviness. It's a burden. It will be legalism. But Jesus puts in the word, so. So. He's linking it back. He's saying, come to your Father in heaven. Receive good gifts from him. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be open to you because your heavenly Father, he loves you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. So, so, when you come to others, you can love them. You can do to others what they, what you would have them do to you. Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Why does he say that? Because the only way we can love one another, the only way we can love a world, is by being a disciple of Jesus, is by being in receipt of God's love. It's only when we've known that love and forgiveness poured into our lives that we can live like that. And that's why others who think this is a wonderful teaching of Jesus but don't know him can't live it. They'll never be able to live it. But when we do, because we can if we know God, others will see it. And they will know these are Jesus' disciples. These are God's children. And that will be a provocation to them. They may respond in different ways. But they may think, how can I come in to do that? How can they live their life like that? And it may draw them to God. So I encourage us all this morning, let's come afresh to God. He's already been speaking to us about his great love for us. We can be confident in that. We can be confident he will pour his blessings and love out to us. We can be confident of his goodness. And then as a response to that, we can go out and day by day live our lives by doing to others what we would have them do to us. Let's pray.